Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliveradio.com. And it features stories and interviews about and related to music. Today on the program, we feature John Harrington. John is probably most widely recognized as the lead guitar player for the band Steely Dan. Back in high school, he played in a band that opened up for Bruce Springsteen at the local bars. John went on to study jazz and classical music composition at Rutgers University. He was awarded a National Endowment for the Arts grant to study jazz under the late great Harry Leahy. Later, he studied with John Coltrane and James Moody's teacher, Dennis Sindole. John eventually made his way to Indianapolis, where he enjoyed some fine barbecue and got to play with many talented musicians, lots of friends of Wes Montgomery, one of the great jazz guitar players of our time, including Wes's brother, Buddy Montgomery. While he was in Indianapolis, he began earning a living professionally, writing jingles for ads and doing session work with other musicians. Eventually, John returned to New York and began playing on Broadway musicals, including the rock opera Tommy and Hairspray, among others. In 1999, he landed that magical gig in the sky, becoming the lead guitar player for the band Steely Dan, and he's been playing with them ever since. He's also toured with legends Boss Skaggs, Bette Midler, and many other fine talents. John is also the frontman for his own band, the John Harrington Band, whose latest album, Shine, 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 is available now on CD Baby and iTunes. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Live Radio, this one entitled Shine John. We're going to listen to lots of great music from John Harrington Band. Right now, before we get into the interview, we're going to turn up the volume on the background music. This is John Harrington on his 1992 recording from the Pulse and Cadence album, a song called Kernel of Truth. got a guitar here. That's probably soft, though. Huh? Oh, nice. Very good. If we needed it, we got it. <laughs> All right. Well, no, that's excellent. John, welcome to Music Life Radio. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and what kind of music influenced you early on in life. Well... I always think of the Beatles on Ed Sullivan when anybody asks me a question like that, because uh, that was when I, I think I probably got my first interest in playing the guitar, because I went uh, 
somehow very very quickly i had uh you know found uh i think it was the beatles like bubblegum cards you know like baseball cards you used to have them and uh found pictures of john lennon's guitar and i had put a construction paper uh you know cut out construction paper uh version of his rickenbacker together so i could jump up and down on the ba- you know, in the basement on the the old couch down there and play beatles records on my little uh little record player down there so i think that's probably when i really got into it uh and that was pretty young but i i I had actually been playing music already but not playing guitar um i was still sort of a a saxophone student and i had played some piano as a kid this was in uh west long branch new jersey which is uh you know this the jersey shore basically northern part of the jersey shore it's really bruce springsteen country where he's i think still located and where he kind of near where he grew up playing and uh, and where I did too. So, how did you uh, first form a band? Well, we were forming bands uh, in uh, friends' basements as early as uh, like in fourth or fifth grade because we were in, we were into it. But uh, they, they really didn't. I don't think we actually did any gigs. We did a few rehearsals, but but um, I I started playing seriously, playing guitar seriously, probably by eighth grade or so, and uh, and you know very quickly we were uh, we were. I had a band that was playing, but the band was called Highway, and we used to play lots of uh, lots of gigs, like proms at the school, at the high school, and we'd play local bars. Uh, we opened for Bruce Springsteen on a few uh, local gigs when he was doing that stuff down there, and uh, we were writing we were writing tunes for the band, and uh, you know, it was very I was very active uh, with my own band and uh, writing tunes uh, as a guitar player uh, and a singer all, all all through high school. Even though I was also, you know, still studying saxophone and still still banging on the keyboard a little bit, uh, you know, I I I, uh, I did that all through high school. And when when I when I got to college, my first year there, um, I sort of realized I played each of the instruments, you know, piano, saxophone, and guitar, equally poorly. And I uh, <laughs> met some people who really played well, and I so it sort of scared me into getting a little more serious about it and focused focusing a little. And so I basically decided to give up the saxophone and give up piano and uh, and just, you know, commit to the guitar. And I started taking lessons for the first time on that instrument. And, uh, and you know, I really started putting in serious time. And uh, uh, that was that was sort of the beginning. Do you have any notable stories about those early days when you were opening up for Bruce Springsteen? Not my, <laughs> my memory's a little dim about it. <laughs> I know one of them was that... Uh, at St. Jerome's, a Catholic school in the, in, uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I forget where the other one was. There's on Facebook. I've seen some people, uh, posting, uh, flyers, you know, that were like hand, handmade. Everything was kind of handmade in those days. And, uh, you know, handmade flyers with, with our band, you know, name on a, on an advertiser for a Springsteen gig somewhere. But, uh, you know, I remember the first, uh, he used to play our high school dances often. And it's funny cause they, it was right during that phase where uh where where people didn't really dance at you know to music anymore it was yeah. kind of first time when everybody was uh i guess people were starting to get high you know and like uh <laughs> and people would like would just like sit on the floor in front of the band and just kind of get lost in it you know somebody climb into the pa cabinet you know <laughs> just fall asleep there you know it was uh that was the day when dances really you know became like you know music listening parties instead and uh and bruce was doing them and it was it was fun you know we were on the same scene and he, of course he he was uh further along in his uh career uh 
endeavors than we were at the time. But we had fun. So when you uh, left high school, you went off to Rutgers University and you started really getting serious about studying music. Can you talk about uh, your time at the university? Yeah, um, I uh, I met, uh, I, I started to study, uh, I, I noticed that one part of the school uh, across the river, Livingston College, which was affiliated with Rutgers uh, and where I could take courses, I noticed they, they had a couple jazz guitar courses and I took one with a guy named Ted Dunbar and uh he was he was a great player and uh and really introduced me to a lot of a lot of music that I was unfamiliar with and uh, and eventually really fell in love with but uh but you know I wouldn't have called him the most generous teacher and I think the nicest thing he did was uh at the end of the course I said you know I, need, I needed to take some private lessons I said would you be interested in uh in in doing some private teaching and teaching me and, and the nicest thing he ever said to me was no, because uh, it came with a recommendation that I study with a guy named Harry Leahy, who was uh, in Plainfield, New Jersey at the time. Uh, both those guys are dead now, but uh, but he uh, he referred me to Harry, and Harry was just a goldmine in terms of like guitar knowledge, and uh, he taught me so much about how the thing worked, and uh, I made amazing progress in uh, over the course of maybe maybe I, I think. Off and on, maybe for three or four years, I studied with Harry. I even got a national endowment for the, from the arts for the arts uh, grant to study with him for for a while too. Um, and uh, he was a fantastic chord player. He was a great jazz player. Did a lot of trio work of his own. Also worked with the Phil Woods Band uh, for a while. And uh, just a sweetheart of a guy and a fantastic guitar player. So I studied with him um, probably for the man, a couple of years in uh, in college and. Uh, really started getting into jazz music pretty deeply. And, uh, you know, I, I sold my Les Paul and my PA system and I bought a Johnny Smith arched up jazz guitar. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I really got, I really got seriously into it, I, which, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend for anybody. It's, it was kind of a strange, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, turn a, a 180 in a way musically for, uh, for me, but, but it was something that I really uh, felt I needed to do. And, uh, so I spent a good six to maybe eight years, uh, really really working uh to try to learn the guitar and learn to play play jazz on it and uh i also studied with a, a teacher of harry's uh who was also a teacher of john coltrane's and james moody's for for quite a long time with moody a guy named dennis sandoli who was in philadelphia and uh who is is gone now too but uh a really eccentric genius of a teacher um fantastic art you know artsy guy and uh a real maestro, you know, for his students. You know, it was with Harry. It was kind of like he was a regular guy, and we used to hang out together. And, uh, and, and you know, it, it was more of a he became a friend. Uh, Dennis was always the maestro, and uh, and he was the first guy that really got me practicing. Uh, and really, I, I, my my play over the course of study with him uh, really took some some big leaps uh, technically. Um, he had some amazing guitar players, uh, you know studying with him for years and years and they were all amazing technicians as well as uh, you know jazz players pretty amazing place i had one uh, follow-up question about your time with harry you said you had got a national endowment for the arts grant how did you go about getting a grant at the time they had things called the uh, study grants uh, this was a jazz study grant i believe was the term they used and uh, i'm not sure where i'd heard about it but basically you uh I don't know. I think you have, maybe you write away for an application and then you fill it out and you send in a tape and, 
you know, I, I remember sending in a tape of a uh, of a of a tune. It's a Benny Golson tune. How does it go? I wonder if I can remember. It's uh, Along Came Betty. I'm not sure. Beautiful tune. Anyway, but it's uh, I, I I I had been playing that tune and I liked playing on it and uh, and I had a little trio that I I got to play I'm a couple guys uh, that I'd been doing some gigs with and uh, you know it was it was a real jazz thing but it was I, I think you know the, the the recording that I sent them showed that I you know I I could uh, play on changes a little and uh, you know and they must have heard some potential or something so I don't know I got a couple couple thousand bucks or something to. Uh, to continue studying with Harry, and uh, that was all it was basically. But they were doing that at the time. I guess you probably can't do that anymore. I don't know. Maybe they don't. They probably don't, aren't as generous right now. I mean, these times are tough. Yeah, times are tough now. It was just interesting <laughs> that I, I read that in your bio, and I just wanted to ask about that. Yeah, um, it's a long time ago. <laughs> what were you doing at this point in time? You must have been outside of college after you were studying with Dennis. And what were you doing to support yourself financially? Well, I. I was living in New Jersey, uh, although I think I think some of the time I had studied with uh, in college. I had studied with Harry for a little while, and then I, while I was still in college, I remember we were making trips down to study with Dennis. So I must have started my my uh, study with Dennis still during my college years, uh, and I think I continued it after I graduated because uh, after I graduated, I just moved back to my old hometown area for a, a couple of years. Got a job teaching in a music store. And I got a job working with a band, which with a bunch of the guys I had played with before, and and trying to get some jazz gigs here and there. And I was Harry would call me to sub for him on some gigs, and uh, it was a little terrifying because uh, you know I didn't I didn't really know the repertoire <laughs> as much, and uh, you know they expected you know he would call me when he couldn't make a gig, and they, you know they were expecting my teacher, so that you know that's that was an intimidating. He was generous about it, but it was an intimidating situation to find myself in. But you know somehow I I stayed afloat and. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, for a couple of years, it, I really it was a combination of the teaching and gigging. It was, but you know, in those in those days, we you know, I lived cheaply, and uh, so we did that for a few years after college. Now, then you moved to Indianapolis at some point. Yeah, I, I remember first I took a trip to uh, Europe for a summer. I, I took a guitar with me and just sort of a backpack and just got away and uh, just you know just took some time off and uh, and I came back uh, and I was staying uh for a while i stayed in morristown new jersey where my where my mother was living and then i got a place close to this to new york city uh, in tenafly new jersey and stayed there for a couple of years and uh I, again i was still doing little pickup jazz gigs and probably some you know like uh wedding receptions and bar mitzvahs on the weekends trying to make some money and uh you know not extremely uh happy with with things but uh I was just starting to get a few calls to do some recording work uh, in New York, but uh, it wasn't feeling like somehow it just didn't feel like things were working out, you know. So, so I was kind of ready for an adventure, and I and I met a woman, and uh, she uh, got to know her, and then she she moved. She was she had already uh, been making plans to move back to Indianapolis, where she was from originally, and uh, and she did move back, and then and then I just sort of followed her. Uh, six months later or something. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't know if I'd be able to work at all as a musician out there. I was probably, I was, I was planning on going out and, and getting the one, you know, the classified ads and looking for some kind of job, you know, and, uh, it was, uh, 
I must have uh, really been ready for a change or something because it was pretty, pretty radical. I can't imagine doing it again. Desire was his affliction. Misfortune was his fate. She became his addiction. Invited, it was too late. She knew she'd found her victim. He knew he found love. It wasn't just his heart that tricked him. It was the brick in the velvet glove. Yeah, he was taking chances and she was talking sweet. Now look how well he dances when she's shooting at his feet. He's rolling with the punches. For love, you gotta fight. For disaster Just for a little thrill But both their hearts beat faster When she was waiting for the kill Ask him what's so appealing He might answer with a grin It's love that keeps him feeling And he takes love right on the chin After all this he's still standing A little worse for wear and tear She swings and they keep landing He just doesn't seem to care He's rolling with the punches For love you gotta fight He's rolling with the punches And they'll be at it all night But, uh, but you know, the first week I was out in Indianapolis, I, uh, I went out, found some musicians who were playing locally, and I uh, went out and heard a couple bands. And, and uh, there was a, you know, a small but high-quality scene of players out there, and, uh, and they were extremely welcoming. And uh, so, like, the, the second, you know, I think even, like, before two weeks had elapsed, I was already, like, doing jam sessions with, uh, at, at people's houses, and, you know, it... Uh, I was. I started to get a couple of gigs. You know, within a few weeks, they, you know, people called me and uh, invited me to do gigs. They weren't. You know, they, I remember the first one was at some some rib joint. You know, on uh, <laughs> near Broad Ripple, and uh, and and it was. Uh, I remember the first night we were playing, and they were playing some tune. And that, those were the days when we were playing like chorus after chorus, like blowing for a long time on jazz tunes. You know, I remember one time we were so oblivious. You know, we were so into the music. You know, it was getting towards the end of the night, I guess, and. Uh, all of a sudden, like people are sort of like like running out of the place because like smoke is billowing out of the kitchen into the main room where we're playing, you know. But you know we're all into it, and we're just <laughs> so the place is emptying out, and we're and there's a big cloud of smoke rolling in, and we're just we just keep playing, you know. <laughs> and I remember, yeah, some guy had some new employee had tried to douse the fire with like with water to you know at the end of the night, and you, and apparently you're never supposed to do that because. Huh. Uh, the smoke from the, you know, the, the hickory smoke or whatever it is. Like, you, you try to put the fire out like that and it creates even more. So it was, it was a nightmare. And I remember going home that night and, uh, you know, the, the, my girlfriend wouldn't let me in bed with her until, uh, <laughs> until I took a shower because I smelled like ribs. <laughs> and I opened the guitar case the next morning and it was unbelievable. It was, it was like my whole, my whole, uh, 
my whole guitar had been uh, given a bath, you know, in barbecue sauce or something. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I, one of uh, uh, one of the studios that I used to have a rehearsal space at burned down. Actually, luckily, our equipment survived, but there was a lot of water damage from the fire. But I remember mm-hmm. my I have a custom guitar that this guy made for me. And it's a great guitar, kind of like a Telecaster style, but it smelled like smoked sausage for <laughs> about three months. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a horrible thing. <laughs> yeah, and wood, you know, wood soaks it up and it keeps it. And I had this nice big, uh, like, jazz hollow body guitar, and it really, like, I don't think it ever smelled the same. Yeah, it's know. not good for the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might have been good. It might have been good. Get a little greasy. You know? A little flavor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you also hooked up with Wes Montgomery during this time frame, and you also started doing session work. Can you talk about that? Well, I didn't hook up with Wes Montgomery. He was he was long gone by that time. But uh, he uh, he had been an Indianapolis uh, native, and uh, there were you know dozens of musicians who had played with him and knew knew him well. Uh, and because I was playing jazz, you know, and because it's not that big a scene, um, I got to know very uh, I got to know a lot of them pretty well and got to play quite a bit with them. Uh, Pookie Johnson uh, used to play tenor on a lot of gigs we did, and uh, I got to work with uh, Killer Ray Appleton, a fantastic drummer, and he, I think I met him through uh, through Wes's brother Buddy Montgomery, and I uh, got to do a few gigs with him too. A fabulous organist uh, named Terry Hayden, who's also gone now, uh, got to work with her, and it was just fantastic because they it's the real deal out there. I mean, it's you know it was just that there was an Indianapolis sound and uh, and the players out there who, who you know were in that scene you know really really did it beautifully and uh, so it was it was a dream come true to be able to sort of sit in you know sit in shoes you know like uh, Wes is that way you know because uh, uh, that's you know he, he's like he's the hero he's the he's the Shakespeare jazz guitar really oh nice oh yeah I mean it doesn't get any better to me that, that's he's the best but uh, you compare everybody else. You know, if you're a jazz guitar player, you got to. Comp- everybody gets compared to Wes. He's the standard for me, the gold standard. <laughs> but uh, it was fun, yeah. So, uh, in addition to doing jazz work out there, though, uh, you know, I think I think the move for me allowed me to redefine myself, and uh, I also had to make a living. And uh, I noticed a lot of players uh, out there were were doing some jingle work, which was local, and. Uh, also doing some recording sessions because there were a couple of pretty active uh, recording studios up there at the time. And, uh, and I managed to get on that scene because again, it was a small scene. They had, they had quality players, but they didn't have a lot of depth. Um, you know, there were, there were a couple of good guitar players, uh, but uh, you know, I had a range of styles. I was comfortable, you know, uh, working uh, in front of a conductor so I could do some orchestra dates and, uh, and, you know, hold my own. And, uh, you know, I began to uh, bend strings again and buy amplifiers again and, uh, you know, buy effects and uh, buy uh, different kinds of acoustic guitars and, you know, mandolin and banjo. I started getting into that kind of thing a little because that was, uh, this, you know, it was the, the session world, you know, trying to equip myself to play, uh, you know, play recording sessions. And uh, I, I think it was, a, it was an amazing opportunity to get, a, get my feet wet that way without uh, too much pressure because... Um, you know, it's a it's a slower paced scene, and it's a little less intense than the New York recording world is. And uh, you know, I think if I had uh, been as inexperienced as that in New York, I I might not have been called back. You know, for the, for the second time, even. Uh, but in Indianapolis, um, they were like I said, they were welcoming. It was uh, 
maybe a little lower pressure. They were serious and it sounded great, but uh, they were very nice. And uh, so I, I, I got a chance for several years. I was there I was out there about three years and I got a chance to do quite a lot of recording uh, as well as you know playing a lot of jazz. So uh, it was uh, it was sort of a, a lucky move for me. You mentioned jingles. What was the first commercial jingle that you recorded on? God, I can't remember. Uh, it was probably some local company because th- these were not national jingles. These were uh, it was it was kind of a non-union scab market they called it. Okay, yeah. And uh, it would have been you know for like you know Bob and Joe's aluminum siding or something. You know? <laughs> it's like you know, I don't know what it would have been. It's like it was you know probably mo- mostly local business or something. Uh, but I uh, believe me, that's long enough ago, so I, I don't have much memory. <laughs> so, oh sure. What was one of the more notable sessions, recording sessions that you worked on? Well, back then, uh, I, I don't have much memory for for them either because there weren't these weren't like well known people we were working for. These were uh, aspiring, uh, you know, uh, artists who uh, you know had songs, and uh, we were just hired for the day, and we did a lot of them. So, uh, you know, I, I I don't know that any. I mean, I'm sure some of them were. were I'm sure most of them were. You know, were released and came out as records, but. Uh, but we never, we never even, we never paid attention, and uh, I, I never, you know, got copies of those those things. And that in in those days, we just kind of showed up for the work and then went home. But uh, I mean, I think the greatest thing about it was that was the chance to uh, to to play live with a bunch of people, to to learn how to play with a click track, to learn how to to learn how to uh, you know work with the conductor more just to get that kind of experience was, uh, was really valuable. And, uh, I remember that more than anything. I actually, I actually remember playing for the Indianapolis symphony too. <laughs> was, uh, they, they, they were doing some Webern music and, uh, I was lucky enough to have studied some. And, uh, actually I, I had studied the, the pieces that we were playing and, uh, I got to play mandolin on, uh, in, in, you know, Indianapolis with the Indianapolis symphony one night, which was, that was a, that was a new one. <laughs> I haven't wow. done that since. <laughs> you know, so I got a lot of, a lot of uh, kind of a wide experience from my time in New York. Pretty great. Well, then after that, you moved up to New York and you started playing with a bunch of different bands and you even were doing on some Broadway productions. How did that work out? Well, uh, I struggled for years when I moved to New York. It, it was a big town and uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't find a way into uh, the studio scene at all. And, uh, and uh, I, you know, I did, I was able to sort of get some, uh, you know, pick up gigs playing with, uh, you know, aspiring artists who are doing their own music and, you know, doing these little gigs on Bleecker Street uh, for very low money. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I was, uh, you know, managing with that and with some like I, I got some gigs doing uh, weddings and bar mitzvahs again, you know, but it was uh, it was a rough one. It wasn't music. You know, I wasn't really playing a lot of music I wanted to play. I was just trying to get you know get get the bills paid and do whatever i could uh but it was many years of that and um you know but but uh, i persevered and i was there for a while and like you know you, you know one one connection leads to another and uh i've uh at some point i um i forget exactly what led up to it but i uh i got an audition to play uh for uh the uh the broadway musical tommy because the who's tommy was uh, so it was right in the 90s i think it was mm-hmm. uh early 90s and uh so I was hired to play that show and uh, and, and did that uh, off and on for a couple of years. And um, I met a bunch of players, uh, you know, in the pit there, um, one of whom was uh, a guy named Ted Baker, who uh, who had been uh, 
by the end of the 90s was working with uh, Steely Dan. Um, and uh, that was uh, my connection to Steely Dan. So the Broadway work, uh, uh, amazingly enough, was, was kind of my my way into that uh, that longstanding association with Steely Dan that uh, began 11 years ago now. So, uh, so it was valuable. Uh, and then I did a lot of, uh, you know, I, I played a bunch of shows. Uh, I, with Tommy, I got my feet wet in the Broadway uh, Broadway world, you know, and uh, very unusual music for Broadway at the time. You know, it was not the typical thing, but uh, it was it was a rock and roll guitar part for sure. Just, you know, we were supposed to do the Pete Townsend thing and it was, <laughs> and uh, it was great. It was fun. And uh, then, you know, and, and most of the shows that I ended up playing really, uh, really had that kind of, you know, it, they were, they were less traditional Broadway and much more sort of pop rock shows. There was an Elton John one called Aida. I played for years. And then uh, a show called uh, civil war that had a very short life, which was more like uh, kind of Nashville pop really. And, uh, and then there was, uh, I, I got to play hairspray for the last two and a half years of its run. And uh, that was pretty much a, you know, an R and B kind of uh, book, you know, so you know, it was uh, it, it was it was good to me. I, I'm not doing as much anymore, but because uh, I'm busy with other stuff, and uh, and that's good. But uh, but it was it did serve me, and it was uh, like I said, it led to led to the best gig in the world. That's the gig for me. So. <laughs> So how exactly did you get the call from the guys in Steely Dan to to become their lead guitar player? Well, uh, that happened a little gradually. I mean, Ted was my introduction to uh, Donald and Walter, and uh, 
because they were looking, they, they were, it was towards the end of the time when they were making Two Against Nature. And uh, I think they had spent a good two or three years working on it. This was uh, probably 1999, maybe the fall. Um, and I think they mentioned to Ted that they were looking for somebody to do some overdubs on guitar uh, on a few of the tunes that were left to, to finish up. And uh, Ted recommended me, and he had a copy of a record I had done in uh, 92 for a Japanese label, and he brought that to the uh, to the session. And uh, I think they listened to the first, uh, some of the first tune on the track, and uh, I think maybe made a wise crack or two about it. But uh, <laughs> But Walter made a... I made a phone call and I, I got a call from him and uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in coming in and, and playing on a tune and uh, I was thrilled too and uh, and did and uh, I've told this story before but uh, but it's uh, it's amusing um, you know I, at the end of the first session which which seemed to go well um, and I played on played some rhythm guitar on Janie Runaway for about four hours and uh, <clears throat> he uh, they were all very they were both very nice and uh, seemed to go well and uh, Walter, as I was about to leave, said, uh, "I said, oh, you're going to be around. Uh, well, I'll call you, and we'll, we'll have you come back in and do some more." So uh, I said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm around. It'd be great. I'd love to love to do more." So said goodbye, and then went home. And week went by, no phone call. Another week went by, no phone call. Another week, you know, another week. So, <laughs> you know, so I'd pretty much given up on it, and I said, "Okay, well, you know." I'm, uh, my my parts ended up on the cutting room floor, so to speak, you know? <laughs> and so uh, I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I've kind of just tried to forget about it. And uh, and then about five weeks after that session, uh, uh, the phone rings and it's Walter again. He says, "Oh, you remember that uh, tune you played on?" Uh, I said, "Yeah, yeah." And he says, yeah, "Well, we're not going to use anything you did." <laughs> like, I said, "Well, okay." <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he says, "But we'd like you to come in. We got a couple other tunes we want you to play." So. Uh, so I said, all right. <laughs> so, so, um, so I did that and, you know, I had, I had several more sessions. I think I ended up on four tunes on that, on that record. And, uh, you know, uh, somewhere during the course of those sessions, um, they asked me if I'd be interested in doing, uh, some work on the road with them. And I said, I definitely would love to. And, uh, and, uh, the rest is history. As they say. Now you've also gotten to play and tour with some uh, other bands. Can you talk about those? Shortly after the uh, Steely Dan gig started, I uh, I got a, a great gig uh, with uh, doing quite a bit of work with Boss Gags on the road. I forget exactly. I think maybe 2001 might have been the first year we did it. Um, yeah, that that's been an on and off. Uh, I, I've been I've been doing that for years on and off uh, with him uh, when, when I'm able to and uh, when he uh, when he calls. Uh, and that I love that gig. It's a really it's a really fun. It's 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 so well done. It's a great band and. Uh, you know, uh, I love his guitar playing. I love his singing, and it's uh, it's it was a, it was a treat. To, it's always a treat to do it. Shortly after that, uh, I think the next sort of pretty high profile gig I got was uh, with Bette Midler, and I, I worked for a couple of years, like two and a half years, I think, uh, off uh-huh. and on with uh, with her on her on wrote a, you know of course this huge extravaganza of a show with a big band and uh, another another great guitar player, Mike Miller, was on that with me, and, uh, and we had a blast. He's He's the funniest guy, funniest guitar player I know, and uh, fantastic guitar, really fantastic musician. I suppose you know, like, like you know, the 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 notoriety of uh, of the Steely Dan gig was uh, was a reason those other gigs uh, you know came up for me. Uh, you know, because uh, there's no question that um, the Steely Dan thing is is a is such a platform. You know, uh, 
it's really a global thing. I mean, you know, they, they have fans all over the world. We did, we did world touring. And, uh, so that, that really was a game changer for me, you know, just to, as far as exposure goes and people did get to hear me there, which, which you know, has been great for me. Um, let's see what else I, for last, maybe, maybe three years or so, maybe a little more even now, uh, I've been working, uh, off and on on the road with Madeline Peru too, uh, a, a jazzy singer, uh, and songwriter from, uh, from Brooklyn. And, uh, but she's known all over the world and, uh, that's, uh, many, many beautiful records out there. And, uh, we'll be doing some more in, uh, in April and May. I'm going to be uh, working with her. There's a West coast tour in, uh, basically West coast tour in uh, April for, for two weeks. And in May, uh, we're going to Europe, uh, UK, Spain, Norway, where else? Uh, oh yeah. And for the first time I'm going to get to, uh, Moscow and uh, Istanbul as well, which I'm really looking forward to. Oh, very nice. Never been to those two places. So, uh, well, one question I like to ask everybody that I have on the show is what does music mean to you in your own <laughs> words? Can you uh, talk about that? To a great degree. It's, uh, it's been my life, you know, it's been, it's been the love of my life. Um, the, uh, you know, but it's, uh, it's multifaceted, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way I make my living as well as the way I, uh, you know, I, uh, experience, you know, the, the, the beautiful side of life. Um, you know, the, but it's, it, it's a funny hybrid that way because, you know, some days I'm a, a hired gun and I'm uh, expected to, uh, you know, perform to somebody else's tastes and standards. And then another day I'm, uh, you know, trying to do music of my own and, uh, I'm my own boss. And, uh, so it, it, it covers such a range for me, but that's because it's, 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 I mean, my life has really turned out to be, uh, you know, music's a bit, the big, the big thing in it. It's, uh, it's a daily practice for me and a great teacher for me. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's just a, a great source of joy. You know, it's a, it's a source of pride, joy, uh, beauty, like I said, um, fun. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I feel extremely lucky to have, uh, to have found it and, uh, to have been able to, uh, you know, survive in it, you know, uh, yeah. prosper to some degree in it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a rare, it's a rare thing. And, uh, I'm, uh, I don't take it for granted because, uh, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of really talented people who, uh, who still struggle and, uh, you know, it, it's not easy. And, uh, so I, I feel mostly just deep gratitude for, uh, for the chance to do it and, uh, you know, and just joy to be able to, you know, at however many more days I get to do it, it's, uh, it, it's they're they're more precious all the time to me so uh you know that that's that's about how i try to sum that up i think yeah very nice let's talk about your own project the john harrington band how'd you put this together well it's it's been it's been together for uh for let's see probably since the late 80s i think uh i met the guys uh who were in the band which is really just the trio uh, it's uh, Dennis Espantman on bass and vocals, and uh, Frank Pagano on bass and uh, on drums and vocals, and uh, and I play guitar and sing, and uh, we all write tunes. Uh, we do some co-writing. I do some writing by myself, uh, but uh, we've been doing that for since the late '80s. So this is it's a long-standing thing. There's been a lot of downtime too, because uh, when I'm on the road, it, uh, it it has often been put on the back burner. We're going to try not to let that happen this time because, 
you know, because we're, we've got some momentum going. We've been working a lot more lately, and uh, I've got uh, an assistant helping me book it, helping me promote it, and, uh, you know, we've been uh, extremely busy in these last, like, three months that I've been off, and uh, just put another record out. That's this one, Shine, 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 and we're about to record uh, the next one. And uh, So, uh, you know, it's it's we're uh, we're plowing ahead and uh it's it's busier than we've ever been i think we're all uh, more enthusiastic than ever and uh, more optimistic than ever that we're gonna be able to keep it going so and it's a blast it's the most fun thing i've ever done you know it's it, i get to you know i get to design the music so that it feels natural to me that it feels like both challenging and comfortable at the same time i mean that's yeah that's the, that's the that's the coolest thing to me yeah, it's fun for the guys at band. They're, they're they're good old friends of mine. We we have a blast, and uh, and you know, it's, we're just gonna keep keep uh, keep forging ahead that way. Yeah, the one thing that strikes me is just how comfortable everything seems to fit together musically on your Shine 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 album. Well, good, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. How has the songwriting and recording process worked for this project? Well, uh, we've been writing songs off and on. Uh, like I said, uh, since since we got together, like and probably certainly since the the, nine, the early nineties, we've been uh, we've been doing a lot of writing. Um, we did a record that was released in uh, two thousand called Like So, and this Shine 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 is really like a, it's kind of in the in a similar bag. It, it feels like a singer songwriter's record, but with uh, with maybe a little extra added uh, focus on the guitar playing because I certainly want to put that out front um uh but the uh you know this uh, we, we basically were looking for good songs i mean uh we uh we're fussy about songs we you know we, we like good songs we we uh you know we, we, we've done a lot of writing we just try to like pick the best of the of the the bunch you know we there there's there have been a few that have you know not made it you know and like but we uh you know you know we, we have the advantage of being able to play live so we can try stuff out that way we uh you know, so the, a lot of those songs had been around for a while before we uh, we put them on tape, um, and then others were written quite soon before that recording session because I uh, I felt like we needed uh, a few more of a, of a certain type, and so I you know as a, as the deadline for recording approached, I started uh, you know I started writing some more, and uh, it it covers a it's it's not exactly it's not a narrow stylistic range but it uh but somehow it hangs together i think that's probably because it is the band basically we have some keyboard players who are also contributing to it but essentially it's the three of us and the, the rhythm tracking was done with just the three of us together uh to uh, analog tape actually and uh you know we uh because that's the core of it the bass drums and guitar are really at the core of it and because that's how we've uh, approached it um you know, all but two tunes that we recorded uh, seemed to really work and, you know, gel and hold, held together just from the basic tracks that we had. You know, uh, a couple tunes that we had tried and we hoped were going to come together later uh, didn't. <laughs> so uh, so they got left off. But uh, but we got, I think it's 11 strong tunes on Shine, Shine, Shine. And uh, I, I think that the reason, it, if it hangs together, it hangs together because that, that trio is a really I stand by and watch the water
for your band mostly uh to, to keep it working uh and to uh because we love to do that um i mean i, I mean i think it's it just gets more fun and, and uh and it sounds better to me all the time the more we play um it's a great vehicle for i mean i, I we it, it exists because it's a great vehicle for our writing and it's a great vehicle for my for my playing um I love to sing, but uh, you know the, these tunes in the band now. I'm I'm kind of we're trying to really push the guitar playing, and uh, it's it's sort of a you know some kind of blues rock with a with a hint of jazz kind of power trio or something, and uh, you know. But there's still songs, and we're we're singing them all. It's no, there's no instrumental music. It's all really just about the the songs, and uh, and I'm just trying to find ways to design them that uh, where it it. it like I said, where it feels natural but feels challenging, and uh, there's room to room to blow in it, you know. It, uh, and so far, uh, we, we've, it's been it's been going well. You know, we've uh, got a new batch of tunes, even since the shine, shine, shine stuff that uh, is working really well live. It seems like you know, kind of club friendly material, and uh, it's fun. Some of the tunes are fun, uh, entertaining, and uh, you know, a lot of fun to do. So uh, yeah, the goal is to just get it working and. Uh, you know, do more gigs, make more money, <laughs> and get in front of more people. You know, whatever way we can. You know, it's just uh, it's just a ball to do it. So uh, just want to keep doing more. That pretty much uh, sums up what my next question was. What's next for you? Is there anything other than what you just mentioned? 
Well, we're gonna we're, we'll be doing uh, some work with Madeline Peru. Uh, like I said, I'll be doing some work with Madeline Peru on the road uh, in the uh, beginning of April and, and first three weeks of May as well. It's, it, there's a, a new Steely Dan tour which will be happening in the summer. They, it has just recently been announced. I think just a few days ago, uh, it appeared on the uh, Steely Dan website. It's the Shuffle Diplomacy Tour. Uh, let's see, with, with the Miles High Big Band featuring the Embassy Brats. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, I think a few, only a few dates have been posted, uh, but uh, I think the site encourages people to. Uh, Keep their eye on it. Check back because there will be more um, dates listed, and uh, so that's uh, I'm expecting to uh, to enjoy uh, more work with Steely Dan this year. We we were off last year, but this summer is an on year, which is uh, which I'm looking forward to. What is the best way for people to go and find out more information about yourself and your projects? Well, if you go to my website, it's johnharrington.com. It's uh, you got to you got to spell it right. Well. You might get there if you spell it wrong, but better if you spell it right. <laughs> if you think in threes, it works. J-O-N-H-E-R-I-N-G-T-O-N, uh, com, And uh, there's a link there. It's it's it, The site is under construction now, but uh, there's a link there to uh, a, a fairly new Facebook fan page. And on that Facebook fan page uh, are listed all the gigs. There's a lot of video clips from TV we've done, from uh, gigs and clubs that that were videotaped. There's uh, you know, a couple other surprises and uh, you know a whole lot of uh, whole lot of stuff and it keeps it, it's it's being updated uh, more regularly than my website ever was and uh, you know so uh, all all the news is going to be up there so I encourage people to check that that page out. Can you just tell us a story, something that you haven't already talked about uh, that's just important to you in your life? It doesn't even have to be about music. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> Not exactly a story, but uh, I, I could tell you one way that music has has been uh, uh, instructive to me. Sure, um, it's uh, and it's kind of fun to think about this. It, it, it uh, somehow resonates for me in a way. Uh, it's uh, you know, in all these years of trying to get better at playing music, uh, I think I, I think I've had this this like beautiful side effect of uh, getting a little better at life. You know, the uh, somehow music is, is like the, the act of playing music is uh, it's very interesting because uh, if you start, as you do it more, you realize that, uh, you know, it's, it's, you, you have to, you have to pay attention in the present tense to do your job. Well, you really have to like, you know, if you're in the middle of, if you're on, this particular chord change and you're playing this particular part says that you've got to give it attention. That's where you are right now. And that's the most, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, you, you, but you have a sense of where you are. Like if you're trying to play through a song, you know, Oh, we're, we're in the, we're in the last verse before the, the second chorus. And then we're going to go to the bridge. And you know? so, so you're thinking about where you're going a little bit. You, so you've got some, some, some knowledge of the future. You got some knowledge of where you've been. Okay, we've played through that uh, first verse and that first chorus, and now we're in the second verse here. Okay, and uh, you know, like if 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 somehow in the first chorus, you know, I made a, a terrible error and played some like horrible sounding uh, mistake or something, you know, you know, I've done that. That's happened to me. I think it happened once. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can you can if you pay too much attention to the past. 
it can really drag you down, you know? And this is, this is true when you're in, in it's true in music and I find it's true in life, you know? Too much attention on that, uh, that mistake in the past, you know, will do you in. But, you know, you got to know where you've been to sort of know where you are, you know? We, you know? To know that you're in that second verse before the second chorus and after the first chorus, you know, it's important to know that because you're, you're playing it differently. It feels different to be there from anywhere else in the tune. And also you have to have a knowledge, of, you have to kind of have an awareness of what you think is coming up. You're, you're second-guessing the future to some degree. You know, say, so, okay, you're getting ready for the bridge that's coming after that second chorus or whatever it is. And, uh, and that's true in, 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 uh, in life, too. You want to be, you know, a little tuned into what's, you know, what's likely to happen, a little aware and thinking ahead. But too much thinking ahead and then you are out of the moment and your mind is on what you're, you're going to play in the bridge. They, oh, am I going to remember that? But and then you screw up what you're doing in the moment. So, so this, this idea of balancing your attention and your awareness in such a way so that it's balanced correctly and, and, and you know, is, is, a, is one of the great challenges of doing music well, it seems to me. And uh, it turns out it's this perfect metaphor for doing life well because, you know, everybody knows that, you know, if you get stuck in the past, you are not going to be doing your best in the present. And if you get like, if you're fixated on the future in, in terms of worry or hope or anything like that, too much of that, you know, is, is going to waylay you. You're going to, you're going to be bogged down and not be able to function well in the present. So now you need, you need both. I mean, you don't want, you, you can't, nobody can avoid thinking about the future. It's, it's, you know, it, it will be real. <laughs> you know? And, you know, the past was there. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it, it's, uh, you learn from it, you pay, you know, there's, there's, you, you we can't do without it. We, we, you know, it, 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 whether it's real or not, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's part of our experience. No question about it. So the idea of balancing these things in, in a, in a good way is, is, is sort of, it's a fringe benefit of having done music uh, for this long and, and uh, having spent that much time, you know, trying to do it better. Well, very wise words. Thanks, well, John. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Nice to, nice to talk to you and nice to have an opportunity to, to talk. Please keep me posted and uh, I will probably be in your neighborhood not too long uh, from now with, with Madeline on the tour. Do you, would you like to leave uh, with a little riff? Oh, yeah. Here's a good one. Yeah, you know, I'll play my uh, rock jazz lick. It's not my jazz rock lick. It's my right. <laughs> uh, rock jazz lick. <laughs> there he is. Like, uh, got that? <laughs> yep, got it. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow! Sorry, Dan, it's broke. <laughs> All <get> right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, John. All right, Dan, you take uh, care. Hope to see you in April. All right. So. All right. See you later. Thanks again to John Harrington. Check out his website at johnharrington.com. We're going to leave you with one of my favorite songs off of his new album, Shine, Shine, Shine. This is a tune called Up For Grabs. I take the train to my job in the city Squeeze into my cubicle Sitting pretty, not one happy face on the whole damn floor. I wonder what the hell I'm doing it for. Sometimes it feels like my life is up for grabs. 
take the same train to get home at night Walk ten blocks, up five flights My kids are watching adult TV My mother-in-law's visiting from Canarsie Sometimes it feels like my life is up for grabs again for listening to music life radio we'll catch you next time and remember shine shine shine